Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, December 9th, we are studying James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. The Lord's coming is at hand. Therefore, St. James reminds us, be patient, be steadfast without grumbling, following the example of the saints who have gone before us. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Peter Ill. Pastor Ill serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here and wonderful to be celebrating Advent with you and with our listeners. Advent is such a wonderful season of the church here, Pastor Ill. I love it. And it's more than just pre-Christmas. It's a time when we get to wait and watch for Jesus coming, not only for his coming at Bethlehem at his birth, but also for his coming again, but also for his coming each and every day for us. And so as we get to talk about Advent, it's not just about getting ready for Christmas, although that's part of it, but we get ready for Jesus as he comes eternally. Uh, at the end of time uh, and stays uh, past the end of time. And we look for his coming to us with life, forgiveness, and salvation each and every day. Pastor Ill, this is a series that is tackling the epistle texts during the season of Advent. And the text that we've got today, James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11, is the epistle reading for the third Sunday in Advent in series A of the three-year lectionary. So not the one that we'll hear in worship this particular year, but one that we would hear on the third Sunday in Advent in that particular year in this three-year series. So help us put it into that Advent context. What What's the third Sunday in Advent all about, and how is James chapter 5 going to be a part of that context? So week to week through Advent, there's kind of a shift from uh, looking for Jesus coming at the end of time uh, to looking for Jesus coming at Christmas. And there's kind of a kind of a Venn diagram of that, you know, the two circles that overlap in the middle. And Advent 3 is kind of the happy overlap where we are very definitely talking about uh, being ready for Jesus at the end of time. But we are also talking about being patient and being ready for Jesus at Christmas time, especially, and in his birth. And so we, we bear that in mind, um, realizing that there's kind of a double focus here of being ready for Christmas and being ready for Jesus' return. And, uh, and as much as we might want to start jumping ahead to, to Christmas hymns and Christmas themes, uh, we're not quite there yet. The Christmas trees might be up, the Christmas lights are on, but it's not quite Christmas yet. We're still waiting, we're still being patient, we're still enduring, and for us, that's a blessing. So with the third Sunday in Advent, particularly, Pastor Ill, that's the Sunday that if, if you use the like the, the typical Advent wreath that I think you see in many of our Lutheran churches today, you have the first two Sundays are blue or violet, and then so is the fourth. But then the third Sunday is the rose-colored candle, which 
is, I believe, traditionally the Sunday for joy. The Latin is gaudete. So how's that part of the context of Advent, and how is James going to fit into that? Wow, that's a great question. Um, the the one-year lectionary really has that theme of joy in it, uh, that idea of rejoicing. Um, the three-year lectionary, series A, series B, series C, don't have that uh, as full of a as a theme, uh, especially when you look at the gospel reading that goes along with this, it's John the Baptist wondering, is Jesus the one or do uh, John or his disciples need to be looking for someone else? Well, that doesn't sound very joyful at all, but that's exactly uh, the reading that we have. And so there's a limited amount of joy here, but to hear, especially in James, that uh, those who remain steadfast in their faith in the Lord and in his coming are blessed and they have a blessing. That's a joyful promise indeed. And so we find joy in this reading, even if these readings aren't, aren't selected for their emphasis on joy. Well, and I, I appreciate that because it, you know, you still have that visual reminder of the joy using the Advent wreath. And I think the the juxtaposition of you know what we maybe normally associate with joy. So often we think of joy and we think of happiness only. That's clearly not what's going on in the readings that that we're going to get on this particular third Sunday in Advent, James five that we're going to look in in particular, and also John there in prison in Matthew eleven. But I think the the Old Testament reading that's pointed for this Sunday it would be Isaiah thirty five is the chapter that goes with it from the Old Testament. There is a, a joy, and so I think I mean what I guess I appreciate about putting these texts together like that is that you do get a a more full picture of what Christian joy looks like. It's it, there is a happiness to it, no doubt, but it's more than that. There's a a there's an even greater joy that Jesus has for us, and I think the readings that that go together on this Sunday help to highlight that. I think so, too. That's a really good point and well said. So, Pastor Il, in terms of the any more context with the season of Advent, before we start shifting toward James and what he's doing, because we are you know, jumping into chapter 5 toward the end of the letter, and we need to do a little bit of work with James itself to understand what he's doing, but any more Advent context, otherwise throw us into the book of James. I don't think there's a whole lot more Advent context for us as we continue to draw nearer and nearer to Christmas. But we do have, like you said, a lot of work to think about with James. Uh, this in James chapter 5 is coming near the end of this particular epistle. And as we get near the end of this, uh, this writing, it draws us back a little bit to the beginning. Uh, patience and endurance are mentioned in James chapter 1, especially in James 1.12. And uh, there are some who think that this is um, an intentional kind of inclusio or the thought that this is where the book starts drawing itself to an end uh, and it's being marked out that way. Uh, and that may very well be the case. But even if it's not, we rejoice and celebrate that uh, here we see patience as a theme for us in the scriptures and in James. And so James is big on being patient, and that's a good thing. Um, I know myself, I need to hear about patience more and more. <laughs> Hurry up and, and get with yeah. that. Hurry up and wait, right? That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, so so patience is going to be a theme that James has already laid out in his letter. It does come 
previously at the very beginning, and perhaps I think the the word was inclusio. Another way maybe to think about that, that's a, is that a Latin word, Pastor Ill? What it is, is it, inclusio? It's, it's a word like an inclusion or a bookend. Uh, bookend is probably the best way to put it. Uh, as we think about how we are bookended into, uh, with patience at the beginning of the book, patience at the end, and everything in the middle is surrounded by patience. Uh, would be one way to think about it. Does that make sense, Pastor Apple? It it does. It does. So patience that we're going to hear James talk about today is one of the themes there in his book. We did do a study on the book of James here on Sharper Iron a while ago. It's been more than a year, and I, I recall some of the some of the things that were I was reminded of as I was looking at this text in preparation for our conversation. Doctor Giese, who's the author of a, a commentary from CPH on the book of James, he said something that really struck me, and I hadn't thought about, but I, I recall it as, as a very important, that James does have a an end times, an eschatological last day focus. And that's not usually what I think of with the book of James, but this theme of patience is certainly a part of that. And I, I recall that being helpful. The other, the other thing that I recall about the book of James, just as we you know, prepare to look at these few verses today, is that sometimes James shares some connections with Old Testament wisdom literature? The, just the, you know, how what's how does how does life work as a Christian? Some of those those wisdom literature, like you get from Proverbs, find their way into the Book of James. The the other thing I suppose that that comes I think comes out in this text particularly, is you'll see James making allusions or sometimes just very direct references to the words of Jesus, and I think particularly. The Sermon on the Mount. There's a couple of them in this text. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts when we get to those points, but where I, I think James is referencing some of Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. So those are a few more notes that I have about the book of James that I think will be helpful for this particular section. Any more comments on that, Pastor L, or response? Absolutely. Um, I would definitely bear in mind that uh, the reference, the very direct reference to Job and how Job was, uh, he, how right. he persevered would be a case in point for for that kind of direct biblical illusion. Um, as kind of a deep dive, uh, James uh, James five is kind of a it moves the very same way that uh, Psalm thirty seven moves, and so there's a lot of thought that James five is a restatement, a New Testament restatement of Psalm 37, uh, which goes into that uh, kind of a thing. But I don't think that someone just reading James five by themselves is going to automatically sit back and think, oh, that sounds just like Psalm 37. Uh, Maybe it's because we aren't always wired to know the Psalms as well, or because we don't notice some of those intertextual moves. But there is quite a bit of similarity between Psalm 37 and James chapter 5. So, Pastor Ill, if, if you can, just because I know, I mean, for, for this is one of my weak points as well, I don't know the Psalms as well as I should. When you say Psalm 37, I do have a couple of verses that come to mind. That's the, there's a very famous verse about delighting yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart that sometimes gets quoted out of context, but can be a very comforting passage used correctly. And then I, I recall the phrase, fret not in that psalm, but that's about the, the majority of my own memory from Psalm 37. Can you give us at least just a, a synopsis of what happens in Psalm 37 and how James 5 echoes that? 
Sure. So the first part of James 5 talks about uh, how the rich need, uh, are taking advantage of those in the church and how though the rich in the church should not be like the rich in the world trying to take advantage. And so it starts with this condemnation about fret not because of evildoers. Uh, are you being taken advantage of by the rich, in other words? Well, if you are, then Jesus is going to deal with that, says James. Um, and there's no room for being envious or, or trying to uh, be like the rich in the world. And so that's uh, from 37 verse 1, Psalm 37 1, I should say, is a comparison to James 5 verse 1, where it starts talking about, uh, about the rich. As it goes on, uh, you could say the commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. That's Psalm 37, verse 6. That lines up much more with our reading on the on James 5, the second part of the chapter, verses 7 through 11, where you're being called to wait. Look for the coming of the Lord Jesus. His coming is at hand. The judge stands at the door. Um, and, and that parallels very neatly with what we have. Uh, and it even says um, in verse 7, uh, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Uh, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the one who carries out evil devices, kind of capturing not just the waiting part, but also don't worry about the rich. Uh, because they're going to do what they're going to do, but you belong to the Lord Jesus, as James would say in a New Testament context. Uh, that's kind of a, of a quick snapshot. Um, if you want more, we can do more, but that's I think that's a really good place for us to start recognizing some of the similar themes of Psalm 37 and James 5. I, I think that's very helpful, Pastor Ill, and a good reminder to all of us to, I mean, you know, to always take time to read the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. It is amazing how often the Psalms influence the New Testament writers, James here with Psalm 37. So perhaps as you're listening to this study, take some time to you know pause it if you're listening on demand and you'll know, go back and forth between James 5 and Psalm 37, catch some of these similarities. I'm sure we'll bring some more out. Pastor L's already given us some. Let's go ahead and jump into this text from James 5. Again, this is James 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's the text for today. That's James 5, 7 through 11. And again, that is the epistle reading for the third Sunday in Advent in Series A of the three-year lectionary. Pastor L, before we dig in very deeply to some of these words and these verses, just give us the overall impression here of, of this text from James. What is James doing in this text? James is setting up those who hear his epistle to be just that, to be patient. Uh, 
to wait for the Lord's coming. Uh, sometimes you hear about the Lord's coming talked about as the, the parousia. Um, that would be the, the royal coming of the king. And so we do look forward in the church to the royal coming of our king, King Jesus, and talk every once in a while about his parousia. Uh, and as we do that, that's exactly what James is encouraging us to think about. Jesus is coming back. And that's a fact. Therefore, with that fact in mind, be ready, be patient, wait. Even though sometimes that waiting is really, really hard, wait for the Lord, wait for his coming, wait for his royal visit. All right, so we're waiting for the Lord's royal visit, his coming on the last day, which is factual. And again, that is going to influence the way that we live right now, that the Lord is coming that means something for us today. And the word patient shows up several times in this text. That's how it starts in the ESV. Be patient. Help us to understand what James means by being patient. So as he starts with being patient, this is a reminder that we are not in control of our own actions or or of our own time. Very much how Jesus has warned us to stay awake and to be watchful. He calls us to be patient, and that's exactly what the church does. Um, so he makes it clear that this is a fact that Jesus is coming back. Uh, it's not boy, I hope Jesus comes back, or I want Jesus to come back, or some kind of an imagination. No, this is something that the Lord is really clear about. And James uses a metaphor talking about a farmer. Uh, farmers count on rain. And I know here in December, it's not very common for us to think about farmers wanting rain. Uh, it's some it might be divided now into those who want snow and those who don't want snow. Uh, at least that's how it is here in Illinois. Uh, but for, for the farmers, they count on the early rains in the springtime and the late rains in the autumn to strengthen their harvest. And without those early and late rains, they won't have a harvest. But the harvest is a real factual thing. There's no getting around that. And it's a vital part of the church, uh, or a vital part of the farmer's life, I should say, waiting and knowing that the word of the Lord comes in the early times and in the late times is vital to the church, and Jesus' return is vital to the church. If we start talking about Jesus without ever talking about him coming again, we've really missed an important theme of scripture. And we don't want to just talk about uh, life with Jesus as something that's for today, or life with Jesus is something that uh, gets us to die and be with him in heaven, which is true and a wonderful teaching of the church. But we also bear in mind, Jesus is coming again in glory, to be the judge at the door. His kingdom is really drawing near. We're looking forward to that. We're hoping for that. And we're counting on that fact and not giving up on it. Not at all. So, Pastor Ill, there, I think there's a lot that we can talk about with this word patience. And, and one thing that, that comes to my mind, and it's because of the way that this series has, has worked, putting together several epistle readings, all from the season of Advent, that you wouldn't necessarily put together. One of the readings that we've covered here already on Sharper Iron in this series 
was for the second Sunday in Advent in series B. So it's not the same series as, as this one is, but it's from 2 Peter chapter 3. And there, the apostle Peter uses this word patience as well in reference to the Lord's second coming. And he, just as a, to refresh our memories, in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And again, I don't know that I would have put these two texts together if it hadn't been for just the way that this series happened to work, but I, I do think that they shed light on each other. Peter talks about the Lord's patience not being a, a slowness, but rather the Lord working out his will to bring more sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus. And now James is urging that patience toward us. And I, I don't know, putting those two together, I think it helps me in the patience for the Lord's return, because I know it's not just me sort of like sitting here, twiddling my thumbs, whistling, when's he going to come? But it's, it's rather me counting on his promise that he is going to come. And he, he's going. He's doing this with a purpose. You know, he's he's doing this because he's working to save more sinners as he's being patient. So I can be patient too. Right. And I know this goes a little out of order, but that also lines up with uh, verse uh, with verse eleven in James chapter five, as it talks about how the Lord is compassionate and merciful, um, and that is uh, that is an emphasis here as well. And so the Lord doesn't wait because he's lazy or because he's slow, but because even in the waiting, he's compassionate and merciful to Job, to the prophets, and to you and to me. And that is a real promise that we take a great deal of hope and comfort in. The other thing about the word patience that I think you've mentioned it, at least you've touched on it in, in references to Psalm 37 and even here, and I think it comes up with the image of the farmer as well, is that patience often involves suffering. To have to wait for something isn't pleasant and, and often means holding on to something even when, when things attack it. And again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think that's what's going on in verses 10 and 11. Some, and if I'm not mistaken, sometimes in perhaps the King James, the word patience will get translated long-suffering. And I think that that's something that maybe when we just hear the word patience, we think, again, we're waiting, we're just kind of sitting there, but there's there's an activity involved with it, and it's often suffering, which makes it difficult on our on our part. But then I think having the, the matter of the farmer, you know, the rains are going to come, the harvest is going to come, adds to that, the Lord giving that strength for that time of patience, that time of long suffering. Yeah, there's that oldie song, you know, waiting is the hardest part. And I, I'm not sure that we should turn to the oldies for our theological <laughs> insights. But this one fits. Uh, waiting for anything is hard. Waiting for the return of Jesus, that's hard too. And it's definitely okay for us to bear that in mind, thinking, oh yeah, we are waiting for Jesus. And that does imply a certain amount of suffering. Because while we're waiting, the evildoers are around us, as Psalm 37 would say. The rich who are oppressing the church are still oppressing the church, as James 5 verses 1 through 6 would say. But through all of this, we're not to grow weary in our patience. We're not to grow complacent or sloppy, but we are to wait 
just like the kingdom is right there knocking at the door, just like the Lord, our judge, is right there waiting for us and coming to us. And so we have this vigilance that we don't give up on. One of the things you said earlier, Pastor Ill, I, I think is important that we need to, whenever we talk about our Lord, we want to make sure we we preach him and proclaim him as the coming one. The, the, the thought here in James 5, that he's the one who's coming. And, and I know, I mean, in my own preaching and teaching, that thought comes up in the season of Advent, certainly. It comes up in the season of the end of the church year, which we just came out of as well, the coming of the Lord. But sometimes it's easy to, to forget that at other times in the church year. And, and certainly the church year, you know, has various emphases and it's, it's good to hold on to those. But you, you're telling us that it's very important for us to always hold on to this, the coming of the Lord, and to be looking forward to that. Why is that such an important part of our Christian faith? It's an important part of our Christian faith because this is uh, the fulfillment of all of the things that God has promised. Uh, the cross accomplishes the, the forgiveness of sins, um, but the forgiveness of sins leads to the life everlasting. And the life everlasting is truly inaugurated at baptism. That's when it starts. Uh, but it's completed and fulfilled at the return of Jesus when we look forward to our eternal life with him. And we don't uh, simply relegate our eternal life with Jesus to after we die, we go to heaven. Like I said before, that's true and a wonderful teaching and very comforting. But we also want to focus on the fact uh, heaven will be great, but it's not the end of the world. The end of the world, the return of Jesus, will be even better yet. And just as a reminder, you know, these things are there weekly in our worship services, and the, the place to look is in the Creed. Whether you're saying the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, you're going to take it to the end of the story each and every week. You know, the, the Nicene Creed for example, in the second article, he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. And in the end of the third article, I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And similarly in the Apostles' Creed, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And again, by the end of the creed, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. This is the final goal. The final end of our Christian faith is to be raised from the dead with our Lord Jesus Christ to share in that resurrection life and to dwell with him forever. And, and that's that's the hope that we have. And using the word hope there, not in a, I, I wish it's going to happen, but as you said, it's a fact. It's an expectation. That's our, our hope as Christians. And so we're always looking for it. And, and in Advent, at the end of the church here, a really big theme, but something we always want to have in our hearts and on our minds as Christians, whatever time of year it is. We'll pick up more of that on the other side of the break as James gives it to us here in James chapter 5. You're listening to Sharper Iron. We're talking with Peter Ill this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, December 9th. We are studying James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11 with Pastor Peter Ill. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, prior to the break, we're looking at verse 7. James urges patience until the Lord's coming, much like a farmer is patient, waiting for the early and late rains, and the harvest will come. So in the same way, the Lord's coming will happen. It is a fact. In verse 8, James, again, be patient, establish your hearts. And here it almost sounds like a bit of a a contrast. Now he says the coming of the Lord is at hand. So on the one hand, be patient. He's coming, so wait. But now the coming of the Lord is at hand. How are both of these realities true? You know, you could translate this a couple of different ways. One way is to say the coming of the Lord is right up on you, uh, would be one way to read it. Um, it is that like how they it, say it in Milstadt? Uh, not so much in Milstadt. I was about to ask if that's how they said it in Texas. Um, <laughs> well, it's but, fixin' to, is what I think, oh, you know, he's, he's fixin' to come. The, it, it's fixed right up upon you, you could say, because this verb is actually in in the perfect tense, and so it has come and it still is here. Um, would be another way to do it, a little more academic way, to say the the kingdom uh, or the coming of the Lord has come and is still present for you now. Um, and that's the attitude that we have. Uh, it's like when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand in Mark chapter 1, uh, in Mark 1, 14. We have that very same kind of a, of a thing. It's not near like, say, Millstadt, Illinois is near St. Louis. Uh, it's not uh, close to, but it is, no, it's right up there. It's, it's encroaching on you, and it has found you and is coming for you. Um, kind of with that knocking on the door, here it is. And we might say, it's been 2,000 years since James wrote these words. How can we still say with a straight face that the, king, that the coming of the Lord is right up on you, that it has come and is, and is still here for us? Because the presence of Jesus is here for us. It came and it continues to come as we hear his word, as we rejoice in our baptism, as we receive the body and the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We say the kingdom has come and he is coming again in glory too. And we, that we're right on the cusp of that. We have been since James wrote these words and we continue until the day of his appearing. And that is all good and joyous news. I appreciate you bringing out Jesus' opening sermon. I know it's in Matthew's gospel, I think in Mark's as well, probably in, in Luke. 
also that the kingdom or the reign of God is at hand. It's come near that same same way of speaking that it's 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 here. And, and in the same way, the Lord's coming is at hand. There's this. Sometimes we we talk this way theologically. There's a now and not yet aspect to it. And so there is the need for the patience for the Lord to reveal himself for the resurrection of the dead. And yet, because of what the Lord has done in his first advent and what he is doing now in his ascension, coming to us in word and sacrament, we can say that the Lord's coming is at hand. It's here and it's it's having an effect right now. I, I think, is this related a little bit to the way Luther talks in the small catechism when he's talking about the petition, thy kingdom come? It's not... Yeah, you know, the way he explains it isn't just something that happens in the future, but there's something that that happens even right now. Right. We pray in that petition that our Lord Jesus would come, uh, not that he needs our permission or our asking, but that we would be paying attention to his kingdom coming among us when it comes, that it would actually change reality for you and for me uh, and for Christians everywhere, that uh, as they see God's kingdom having come near, that they would say, oh, look, God's kingdom is here, and this is what it does for me. This is the really excellent, joyous news that we have from our Savior. Right. So God's kingdom comes now, and we also pray that it would come in the future. I mean, we, we speak about this catechetically, about the kingdom of the kingdom of grace, that God comes to us now in his church, and also the kingdom of glory, kingdom of glory, that God would come on the last day and take us to that eternal home in the resurrection. The Lord's coming is at hand. James really sums those things up for us. As, as he continues into verse 9, he says, don't grumble against one another. Now, how does, how does not grumbling fit together with what James has been talking about so far? It seems to not fit, doesn't it? Uh, but usually when you're being patient and when you're focused on something good to come, that's when the stress and the, well, the grumbling and sometimes the gossiping and the second guessing and the backbiting comes out, isn't it? When when you're expectant of something good and you're not quite getting things exactly the way you wish they were, what happens? You grumble. Is he ever going to come? Is this really going to work out? Was he kidding? Um, and all of a sudden we find ourselves, uh, even in our anticipation, grumbling about God, grumbling about each other. Uh, this happens in the church as well as it happens anywhere else. But James tells us not to grumble, um, but then he also gives us the reason why we don't grumble, because we don't want to be judged. The judge, Jesus himself, is standing at the door. So this connects itself to the uh, to the, the the coming has come near, or is at hand, and he says, "Look, the judge is right there at the door. Um, you don't want him to hear you grumbling, even as you're waiting for his coming, do you?" Uh, and the answer is, "No, certainly not. We want him to hear our eager and joyful anticipation. We don't want him to hear our grumbling about him, our grumbling about each other." Uh, or our grumbling about anything else. And so in all things, we are to fix our eyes, as Paul would say to the Philippians, on what is noble and good and beautiful and just and righteous. Ultimately, we fix our eyes upon Jesus himself, even in our waiting. 
Pastor Ill, I think in this verse, I, I see an Old Testament connection and a New Testament connection. The Old Testament connection, I, I think, that we could make with the matter of grumbling is to the Old Testament Israelites wandering in the wilderness, because grumbling is kind of what they're known for while they're in the wilderness. Waiting I, for I the think, promised land. That's right. Grumble, I mean, right? I think that the patience, the grumbling, we see that in Old Testament Israel. Maybe, that, I, mean, I think that's a good example of what James is talking about here. I think so, too. I think, I think you're spot on there. So, and then the the New Testament example, and this is one of the places where I, I think that maybe we can make a connection to some of Jesus' own words, and, and particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus very famously says, judge not, lest ye be judged. And I know that that, that verse can often get mis, misused in our culture today to kind of whack Christians over the head for trying to stand up for the truth of what Jesus has said. We want to obviously not fall into that error, but at the same time, we need to take what Jesus says to heart about not judging lest we be judged. And I, I think the matter of grumbling against one another, con- combined with what James says about, you know, so that you won't be judged because the judge is there at the door, I think that Jesus' words there in Matthew 7 shed some light on what James is saying here in James 5. I think so, too. Um, that idea that when we grumble, we really are judging one another. It calls to mind also, as you bring up uh, Matthew 7, calls to mind for me Romans 14, where it talks about not judging the servant or the slave of another. Um, But that grumbling and that judging that we do in the church one over another uh, really seems to be focused and emphasize judging and watching over each other so that we, well, get things our way. Um, and that we get other Christians to be more like us uh, without worrying so much if they're more like Jesus. Um, But the importance isn't if they're more like us. That really doesn't matter. The importance is, are they Jesus' servant? Are they one that Jesus has judged to be not only not guilty, but one that Jesus has judged to be innocent and pure and righteous? If they are under that good judgment of Jesus, then who are we to judge them in any way, shape, or form? And so that's exactly what we do. We commend them into God's care, not grumbling or judging, uh, not trying to establish them uh, as under our control, because those who are waiting with us are under Jesus' command and under Jesus' control. I want to talk a little bit more about the the way James says at the end of this verse, the judge is standing at the door. because And, and the way that you explained it, which I, I think you're right, but it, it seems that within this passage, James is using the true teaching concerning the Lord's second coming in both a gospel sense and a law sense, that that on the one hand, the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is a promise to us that should comfort us and strengthen us in patience until that day comes. But but now in this verse, it almost sounds like there's a little bit of a, a threat there as well, a, more of a law sense. Is, is there, do you see that dual use here in this passage? I do too. Yeah. That, um, so that you might not be judged, Boy, it's really hard to take the law out of that, isn't it? Um, and that's not what I'm trying to do at all. Uh, but simply to say, right, the uh, if you get caught grumbling, gossiping, backbiting, and trying to hold others to your sense of right and wrong, uh, you will be judged. Don't do that. Um, and if you are doing that, knock it off. Repent. 
believe in Jesus, uh, there is hope. And verse 10 is going to go on with what that hope is. In light of the law, verse 10 is going to give us uh, some wonderful um, encouragement. Uh, and then verse 11 is going to talk about the compassion and the mercy of God. So take us into verse 10, the encouragement that's there. James brings up the example of the prophets. What's the encouragement in verse 10? Right. So for us, you know, sometimes we struggle a little bit to identify with the Old Testament. But here, James says, as you guys are waiting for the Lord to keep his promises and to fulfill his word, think about the prophets. Think about Moses, who sometimes struggled uh, with the people's grumbling. Think about Elijah and Elisha. Think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Think about Hosea and Malachi and all of the other prophets whose lives were threatened, who went through difficult times, whose word was rejected. And even they themselves went through periods of wondering when God would keep his promises. Uh, one of the thoughts and one of the passages that keeps coming back to me is when the prophet Elijah, right after the, the battle of the gods there at Mount Carmel, uh, came down from the mountain and wicked Queen Jezebel said, uh, you better run because by this time tomorrow, I'll make your life like one of the lives of the false prophets that you killed yesterday. Uh, in other words, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And so Elijah runs out and lays down under a broom tree and he says, oh, Lord, I've had enough. I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to check out. Uh, go ahead and let me die in peace because I've tried to do everything according to your word and according to your will, but it hasn't worked out. Therefore, um, how, how can I make this uh, continue to work? I can't. I give up. Uh, and he was suffering, uh, thinking that the prophecies that he had given, uh, nobody believed and nobody cared. Uh, but the Lord said, it's not your job to know who's listening and who cares. It's my job. Um, and the Lord came to him with uh, bread baked on hot stones and with water. And he went in the strength of that bread and that water for 40 days until God appeared to him at Mount Horeb in the still small voice. Um, it's a wonderful collection from uh, from First Kings, and and it reminds us of the patience of Elijah. You could talk the same way about Jeremiah or Moses uh, as well, but the suffering that the prophets faced for the word of God was very very real, and we are encouraged to have that same kind of approach to to patience even when the people around us don't seem to care what we have to say about the Lord's return. I really, I'm really glad you brought up Elijah there in 1 Kings 19. I, I think it fits very well with the gospel reading that goes with this one, which we mentioned earlier, Matthew 11, where you've got John the Baptist in prison coming to Jesus through these two messengers, and, and John asks, are you the one who's to come, or should we wait for another I mean, I think you know, what happens to Elijah in 1 Kings 19 is very similar to what happens to John there in Matthew 11. And, and I, the reason that I appreciate you bringing that example up, because I, I think it really helps us to get a, a more accurate picture of what, what the patience and suffering of the prophets entailed. It wasn't that they were always you know, stone-faced and just stood there no matter what happened, and they, they took it, maybe I can say like, they took it like a man. They, they lamented. 
in the midst of this. They let the Lord know how this was affecting them. And Elijah is a great example of it. You mentioned Jeremiah. He's a great example of it. I think John is a good example of it in the in the ministry, you know, his his ministry that kind of puts a has a foot in both testaments. He's a, an Old Testament prophet and also the forerunner of the Christ. But in in all of them, their patience was they suffered in it, but they weren't afraid to voice that in a lament to the Lord. And I, I think that that helps me particularly, and I hope it helps all Christians, so that when we're in the midst of this patience and suffering, it doesn't mean you have to sort of be silent and just sort of, uh, I'm not, I don't have the right words for it, but just kind of like take it as if it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal that you're suffering. The Lord cares and he wants you to cry out to him and to lament to him. And, and I, again, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think we have, an, at least sometimes I know I do, I have this idea that my patients need to be sort of this stoic sort of, I'm just going to, to stand here emotionless. And that's, that's not what we see in the prophets. They experience the suffering, but then they take it to the Lord in their prayers and in their laments. And I think that's an important part of the example that maybe we've lost a little bit in our context, and I think we need to recover it. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I know that here at Trinity, we got to recently go through the Book of Lamentations, which is, and I know that you covered that on Sharper Iron not too long ago as well. Uh, but that's a really challenging book for Christians to read. And there's a number of issues that come out of that. And you think, how can a faithful Christian and a person of faith pray those things and say those things and do it well? But we are. Uh, given a scriptural example of what a a biblical lament looks like, um, a lament that says, great is your faithfulness, as Lamentations 3 does. And so we continue to hold on to that as a promise, uh, even in the middle of our own times of lamenting and in our own times of needing to be comforted by God. The other, this is another place in verse 10 and then going into verse 11, where I see another echo of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And it comes from the mention of the prophets in verse 10, as well as the use of the word a blessed in verse 11. And I'm reminded of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus very specifically brings up the prophets and, and, you know, over and over again, it says, blessed are those or blessed are you. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I, I hear an echo of those words of Jesus in James chapter five. And again, I think you know, when you when you hear the Beatitudes and all the promises that Jesus makes, Precisely to the people that James is talking about here in James chapter 5, it's another added element of, of strength and encouragement that the Lord would give to us as we're patiently waiting for his coming. Right. And we do need that, that blessing, um, that blessing from the Beatitudes um, and the blessing of, of patience. We also are reminded that uh, patience is the first of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Wait, it's not the first, but it is one of the fruit of the Spirit. I apologize. It's up there, yeah. Love, joy, peace, patience, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and we certainly need God's help to work that patience in us. This is part of our sanctification and part of God making us holy. Uh, and, and we see that as a blessing. 
But even as we kind of start to think about that word blessing, it takes us back to the words from uh, the gospel for series A for Advent 3. From Matthew 11, uh, verses 2 to 15. And Jesus says in verse 6, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Uh, there's a blessing there for the ones who hear and believe and are patient. And it talks here about uh, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Um, I don't know that James was thinking about uh, these words of Jesus to the messengers of John the Baptist but uh, when he wrote this. But he might have been. And it certainly fits for us to hold these things together, thinking about the, the goodness of Jesus and the blessing of Jesus um, as we hear these promises and how those who have gone before us in faith have heard these promises and been blessed by Jesus. Yeah, I, I think that, again, whether or not James had those particular words from Matthew 11 in mind, it certainly fits that, that blessing that is there for the one who's not offended or not caused to stumble not scandalized by Jesus, that that he holds on to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, even when the suffering is there. That's part of the blessing that James has in mind here. In verse 11, James begins with the language of steadfastness, which I think is related to patience, but perhaps some, some different nuances there to explore. And he brings up particularly the example of Job. He named prophets in general, but in verse 11, you get the steadfastness of Job. So, Pastor Ill, what is steadfastness, and how does that relate to Job as an example? Um, sorry, you got me with my with my nose in my Greek New Testament. Um, <laughs> That's a good place for it to be. It is. Um, the, the word steadfast... Um, uh, means uh, uh, also can mean to persevere, um, and and it's a uh, kind of like an only purposeness uh, might be another way to to kind of understand that word. And so you uh, blessed are those who've remained steadfast, whose only purpose was to hear the words of Jesus and to live in the words of Jesus. Uh, we also then focus on how important it is. Uh, for Job to hear and focus on the word of God as it came to him. And so we focus exactly on that. Tell us a little bit about Job. What's, what's the example of Job and why is he, I mean, why does he get mentioned so specifically here? Why is Job such a good example of this? Yeah. And, and if it's okay, I'm going to kind of walk back a little bit some of our modern understandings of Job, because some of our modern understandings of Job don't, make sense with the way James is talking here. Because we don't think of Job as somebody who's steadfast. We think of Job as somebody who is attacked by the devil and who then goes on and is, uh, uh, is goes to question God uh, to the point where he even challenges God and says, hey, I really want you to examine what I need uh, and you deserve, I deserve some answers from you. And God rebuffs him. Uh, but throughout all of that part of Job, uh, we have this promise that uh, Job never gives up on God and Job never curses God and dies, even though different people were telling him to do that. Job always maintained God's faithfulness and God's goodness to him. 
So, okay, so Job is an example of steadfastness. And I think, and obviously we don't have time to, to do all of, of the book of Job today, but I mean, he, he certainly stands as that example. And, and I think James helps us, you know, when, for, when we study the book of Job here on Sharper Iron, unless the Lord returns first, at some point we will, this is going to be a helpful verse for us to remember that Job is, is called a steadfast one. He, he holds on to the promise of the Lord, even with everything that is going, going on. Another thing I want to pick up in, in verse 11 is, and I think, you know, if you've got your nose still there in the, the Greek New Testament, Pastor Ill, in the ESV, it's translated, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. If I looked at my Greek New Testament correctly, the word for purpose is telos there in the Greek New Testament, which when I hear the word telos, I, I think, you know, like end or goal. And I think of Jesus' words on the cross to, to telestai, it is finished that that sounds like a really loaded term there that James is using and really adds a a good gospel finish to this passage right um and you, another word that i might use for telos is completion or fulfillment yeah. um and so you've heard of the steadfastness of job and you've seen the the purpose the ending the finishing the completion of the lord how the lord is compassionate and merciful well when you tie that in with Tetelestai, it pulls you to the cross. And there at the cross of Jesus, you can say, oh, all of this uh, patience and enduring, this all is fruit of the cross for me. But it is also the very reason of why I am patient, that the cross would be fulfilled and completed in the return of Jesus and in Jesus' resurrection, not just of himself, but of all who have died the resurrection of all flesh. And we look forward to that coming and that day with great joy. Um, and so we have that, that finished, but still coming now and not yet theme. Uh, but Jesus is at the very center of this reading as we are always looking for his return and for his coming again. But just what, what you're saying there, Pastor Ellen, and, and you bringing up lamentations earlier, this matter of, you know, th seeing this, fulfillment or completion of the Lord, a reminder from, from the book of Lamentations where, where Jeremiah talks about, you know, the Lord, when he afflicts, that's not, he doesn't do that from his heart. That's not his telos. His telos is never the, the suffering or the affliction. His, his goal, his completion is always to bring us to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, to, to raise us to eternal life. And I think that, you know, again, that word tell us here, the completion, the goal is helpful so that in the midst of the suffering, as we are being patient, we know where the Lord is taking us. And, and yes, it may involve the suffering now, but his goal is always to raise us to eternal life on the last day with our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that that provides a lot of hope, particularly for an Advent season. Pastor L, with just about a minute, final thoughts on this text, point us to Christ. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Where do you see that compassion and that mercy? In Jesus. Not only the one who was born at Christmas, and he indeed was, not only the one who was crucified and risen from the dead, which he is, but also the one who is to come. The one who comes to stand at the door, the one who comes with forgiveness and life and salvation. And so as we look for Jesus' royal coming, we look for him knowing that we have a blessing those who remain steadfast are blessed. The Lord count us 
blessed as we stand steadfast waiting for the day of his return and the Lord bless us with his patience as we do just that. Pastor Peter Ill is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, helping us today with James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. Pastor Ill, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Blessings to you and happy Advent to you and to all of our listeners. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this text or any other Advent epistle, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.